Well, hello once again, and welcome to worship, our virtual worship service for Sunday, May 10th. I am so glad that you've tuned in. We are happy that you're here, whether you're a part of our congregation or not. I couldn't be happier that you're checking this out. Of course, Sunday, May 10th, whether you're watching this on the Sunday or not, is a very special day for many. And if you're watching on the day, you know that today is Mother's Day. And so, to all the mothers watching this, I hope you feel a very special love and acknowledgement today. But even under the best of circumstances, which these certainly are not, but even under the best of circumstances, Mother's Day brings with it a whole host of emotions for many people. For many mothers, today is not marked by burnt pancakes and scrambled eggshells. For many, it's a painful reminder or another marker on the path of grief. For, uh, for many people, this is a very difficult day. And I want those of you who find this day to be hard to know that we see you. We grieve and we struggle with you. And somehow, through the grace of God, we still celebrate you and we still celebrate with you. And of course, this, dif- this Mother's Day is very different than the ones that have come before. Many who would otherwise be looking forward to a dinner with family or time spent together cannot do that and are having to settle for technology instead. And that will no doubt be very bittersweet, and it serves as a reminder to make good use of the time that we have to show our love to those who need it most. But at the end of the day, mothers will still be mothers. You will still love and care and worry about your children no matter what their age or stage of life. And so from Muslim and Baptist Church and myself, may God grant you a warm and loving day today. May you feel the love of your church family from afar. And we thank you for all of the things that you do that go unnoticed as part of that impossible job description of mom. Well, now, as I transition into our message for today, I'm happy to be able to kick off a sermon series that I've titled, Called to Be. I think it is important every once in a while to look back and remind ourselves about the basic tenets of our faith. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks trying to rediscover who God has called us to be as a people and as a church and as individuals. This series will by no means be an exhaustive list, but I'm confident that the things we'll discuss are ultimately included in the things that God has called us to be for His glory. This will be the, the theory side of things, and when we are back together meeting in person, I'm hoping that we'll take some time and do another series on the practical side of things. We'll put some meat on the bones that we're going to set up right now. So pay attention, uh, take notes if you have to, because when we get to the practical part, we're going to be referring back here, and there will be an exam. I'm kidding. But there's an important distinction that we have to make right up off the top of here, and don't worry, I'll repeat it many times throughout, but there's an important distinction. Please note that the title of this series is called to be, not called to do. There are an infinite amount of 
uh, of sermons that can be done on the topic of things God has commanded us to do. But that's for another time. I'm certainly not suggesting any of that's bad. But I don't want to confuse that with who we are called to be. So as we progress over the next few weeks in this series, keep that front of mind. Called to be, not called to do. Let's begin in God's Word, as we always should. First from the book of Psalms. Psalms, Psalm 95, 1 to 7, very famous psalm. Psalm 95, if you have your Bibles. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And then turning to the New Testament from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. We're only going to be reading two verses, but I always think it's important to make sure that when we're reading a select few verses, we make sure we take it within the larger context. And so, the larger context here is that John chapter 4 is where we get the famous story of the woman at the well. And this famous passage is where Jesus speaks of the water of life. And we reach verses 23 and 24. John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, where Jesus says this, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in, in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and worshipers must worship in Spirit and in truth. Well, you know, the denomination that our church belongs to, the CBWC, has many great resources for pastors to use. And one of those resources is a, a big, thick book. It's called A Manual for Worship. And it covers all sorts of things. It's, it covers baptisms and communion and weddings. It's service planning. It basically uh, provides formats that pastors can use until they're comfortable adapting their own. If I'm being honest, I rarely, if ever, use it. And today, I'm going to be generous to myself and chalk that up to the fact that I like to be creative rather than chalking it up to arrogance, which it can sometimes slip into. But that's a whole separate sermon for another time. But the manual that we're provided with has this wonderful section that covers all manner of covenants that different entities within the church make to one another within the context of being the church. And one such covenant is one we're going to refer back to several times and that I hope we will refer back to when it comes time for uh, an official installation service or, or a commencement service, depending on your terminology. The covenant is an acknowledgement of who we are called to be as a church and, and, who, and what our mission is. And I'm going to break it down into pieces as parts of different sermons. We won't always... Uh, we won't always cover the covenant in this series, but certainly we'll get to most of it. Today I'm actually focused on the last section of it, and it reads like this. We are called to be a worshiping people, seeking and celebrating the God who journeys with us 
and open to the Spirit in the whole of life. I'm going to read it one more time. We are called to be a worshiping people, seeking and celebrating the God who journeys with us and open to the Spirit in the whole of life. Now, notice that the covenant does not say we are called to come once a week and participate in worship. It says we are called to be a worshiping people. Worship is a part of our identity in Christ. It's not simply part of our actions. In fact, worship is such a part of the human condition that I would suggest it's not something that is exclusive to Christians or even to those who acknowledge faith. I think that all human beings worship something. The only question is whether or not they realize it. If we don't worship God, we worship something else. And if we're being honest, most of us who do confess faith in God too often still worship something else. Idolatry is something that we often don't discuss in in our context of, of modern Christianity because it makes people uncomfortable. But I'm here today to tell you that idolatry is real and pervasive, and we all suffer from it. So let's stay vigilant. Keep your eyes attuned to the one who is worthy of our praise. But back to the point. God created us to be worshipers. It is hard-coded in our DNA. Of course, God is seeking people who will worship Him with their lives. And so here I cheat a little bit on my aforementioned spectrum of being and doing, because worship is both something we do and it is something that we are. It is both conscious and unconscious. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, unconscious. Come, let us worship and bow down, conscious. We know that God takes great delight in our worship, whether conscious or unconscious. He delights when His people humble themselves and pray. He delights when we sing a new song. He delights when we come as we are and offer ourselves fully and unreservedly to Him. And now comes the point where I have to make a confession. One of the stumbling blocks in my own worship life is that I have a tendency to overanalyze the language of worship music. To a certain extent, I think it's a healthy practice to be thinking and analyzing about what we're thinking about, but my wife can bear witness to the fact that I have ruined more than a few worship songs for her over the years simply by analyzing the words and then realizing that it's maybe not the best song to be singing. But we have to be honest, that's pretty common. The theology of some of our worship songs is atrocious. And this isn't limited to one time period either. If you skim through a hymnal and start reading what's written in many of those songs, many of those great hymns, you'll realize that the theology is kind of lacking in a few places. And if you look through choruses from the 80s and 90s, you'll see the same thing. Stuff that sounds good, but when you think about it, you go, You know, that's not really quite accurate. 
modern contemporary ones are not exempt here either. We run the gamut, regardless of when the, the worship was written, of things that are wonderful and, and good and, and strong theologically, right to downright dangerous. And too often we don't think about where on that spectrum what we're singing or, do, or doing lies. But here is where God proves again that he is faithful and good. You know, I'm reminded that something I take great comfort in as a preacher is that every Sunday morning all across the globe, men and women of God get up and preach sermons that are imperfect. Despite being well-intentioned, they preach sermons that sometimes contain, you know, just a small technical inaccuracy. And sometimes they preach flat-out heresy. For 2,000 years, preachers have stood up to teach the flock, and we have gotten it wrong. And yet, the faith survives. Our imperfect nature has not stopped God from advancing His kingdom. And the same goes for worship. Our worship is imperfect, but if we come with honest hearts, then it will delight our Father in heaven. I'm speaking about both our worship music and the way we worship God with our daily lives. It's imperfect because we are imperfect. We cannot worship a perfect God perfectly. But we're so fortunate that the God that we do worship not only condescends to hear us, but actively delights in our imperfect worship. I am so comforted to know, as a preacher, that God actively delights in my imperfect preaching. The key is to come with an honest heart, to surrender to His will, to be seeking His face. And if we get some small things wrong, when we realize it, we correct it. But otherwise, we allow the Lord to move in us as He sees fit. You know, with all this talk of worship music, it's important to point out again a, a very important point. I, I was taught in, in school that if a teacher repeats something, it's probably going to be on the test. So if you're taking notes for the exam, now's the time. You've been warned. It's important to point out again that music and Sunday morning is only one small part of our worship. Worship is a lifestyle both individually and collectively. Worship is not something we just do on Sundays. It's not something we just do in our car while listening to worship music. All our lives, our daily lives, should be surrendered to God and offered as a living sacrifice to Him. Romans says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. Because everything we do stems from the worship that we are, or at least it should. Just as faith without works is dead, worship without response is also dead. So all we are, the, the, the be part, totally influences all we do, or at least that's the hope. 
Telling others about God is a natural response to our worship. Serving God is a natural response of gratitude in worship. Giving to God of our money and our, and our tithes and our time and our energy is worship because He has blessed us with so much. Living a godly life stems from our worship, both the worship we do and the worship that defines us. Each of us has a God-given purpose to fulfill in life. But that can only happen God's way, when God is the focus of our worship. And that purpose might evolve and change throughout our lives as we grow in Christ and as our lives change, but it still will be God's purpose. And the same holds true for our church. God has given us a purpose as a committed community of Christ followers to fulfill here and now, in this time and this place. This purpose might be different than it was last year or 20 years ago, but there is still a purpose. We can only discover what that is when we're focused on worshiping God as a corporate body in spirit and in truth. When we seek to be the authentic community of God, He will reveal His purposes to us. This is what it means to be a worshiping people. The reason I wanted to kick off this series by starting with worship is because everything else that follows, all of the other topics we're going to cover, flow out of this, or again, at least they should. We are called to be a people of worship and then respond to that worship. I want to go back for a minute to the covenant that I mentioned earlier. One of the reasons that I love it is that it unpacks things for us a little bit. Hear clearly what it says. We are called to be a worshiping people seeking and celebrating the God who journeys with us and open to the Spirit in the whole of life. Seeking and celebrating the God who journeys with us. Nine words that contain a multitude of theological truth. We are to seek God out on a constant basis. Look for Him and see where He is working. Someone said, the world doesn't lack God's presence. We lack an awareness of it. We seek Him and His face as we journey, and we celebrate. Celebration is something that we too often forget to do in our busy lives. Celebrate our good, good Father. Celebrate His faithfulness in the place He has brought us to. Celebrate new believers and old believers. Celebrate, for we serve a good God. And then, the gentle reminder that this good and faithful God that we seek who actually will, will actually journey with us, never forsaking us, seeking and celebrating the God who journeys with us. And then we reach the final line of this part of the covenant, where it says, open to the Spirit in the whole of life. That really sums things up nicely, doesn't it? 
A lot of what I've talked about already really boils down to being open to the leading of the Spirit in the whole of life. Worship is a lifestyle, not an act. You you folks are going to get sick of hearing me say that. But I want it to seep in deep. And so we must be open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. As we venture forward on our journey of faith, we need to be open to where the Spirit is leading us. And so what does any of this mean specifically? I I confess I don't have all the answers to that. I'm not sure any of us really do yet. But as we continue to be obedient in our worship to God, I know that he will continue to reveal it to us. What does it mean to you? What has the Spirit been whispering in your ear, in your heart? What is he saying? Are you even listening? What does it mean for us as a community? What is our response to be? God has the plan, and as we focus on our worship, He will reveal it. It may not look like what we as individuals or as a church think it will. It may not come when we think it will, but we can be sure that God's timing is always perfect. The hard part is waiting on that perfect timing. Waiting for the perfect, imperfectly. Waiting on God is not easy. I'm an impatient person. I, of all people, understand that. But it is important. It's it's critical. It's part of surrender. So, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Let us worship him. Even though we're apart physically, I'll ask you now to bow your head and pray with me. God, our Father, we who are called to be a worshiping people, seeking and celebrating you who journeys with us, and open to your promptings through the Spirit. Acknowledge that you have met us here today, O God. We have been fed at your table and touched by you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go with us now as we move into the mission field you have given us. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, normally there'd be a song here but you've got your worship set list, and I would encourage you to, to listen to that either today or this week. It was specially curated to go with this sermon. But instead of having the gap, I will just simply now pray this benediction over you. As you go forth in faith, whatever may lie in your path this week, do so with the knowledge that your life is a living sacrifice unto God. Face your celebrations with a joyous hosanna, And face your trials with a hallelujah nevertheless. Do not be afraid, for the Holy Spirit walks with you. May you feel his comfort and peace in the coming days and weeks. God bless you all.